A little bit of information for you on my <clears throat> preaching, just so you know something about it. I write out my sermons word for word, and I use a yellow legal pad and write with a red ink pen. Uh, I've always done that. I don't know why, but that's what I do. And I write every other line on the legal pad so that I can fill in and make changes as I get done. I speak about 100 words a minute, uh, 80 to 100, so I aim for about 2,000 words uh, for a, a normal sermon. And when I get it all written out, then I take a, a uh, crayon and I highlight the things that will be the points in your notes. And so I can make it sequential. My goal when I write it is to make it so it's in a straight line from beginning to end so that none of you get mental fatigue trying to stay with me. And so a straight line is what my goal is, and I can do that when I write and get it all written out. So 2,000 words written on a yellow legal pad with red ink, get all done, put it on notes for you like it is there. It takes me about 20 hours, an average sermon like what I'll give you tonight. I'm telling you that because I'm changing. I've been going through the book of Colossians, and I'm going to put that on hold and I'm going to preach the same sermon to you that I preached Sunday at Buena Vista. The reason is because with doing a sermon there and a sermon here, I could do this sermon at Buena Vista, but I'm kind of, um, what's the, let's see, uh, I'm making it a little simpler over there simply because I don't know my audience and uh, they haven't heard me a lot, so I'm not making it uh, expository, we're going topical, and I'm doing a series that I preached about 20 years ago, the one anothering commands. There's 21, uh, 21 commands in the Bible, in the New Testament, about one another. And so I'm going through those on a series, and one of the reasons I picked those is because over 44 years of preaching, I think that sermon series got the best response of any sermon series I ever did, and I still think when they do it on the radio, it gets about the most response of anything they, re they play as well. So... We're going to be on part three, though you didn't hear part one and part two. And so if you feel insulted or like you're second class, I'm sorry, uh, you'll enjoy it, I think. Maybe. We'll see. So this is not Colossians. I thought about tricking you and telling you that it was Colossians, and you uh, might not. I thought I could find a verse in here that was from Colossians, but uh, we'll do it the right way. Titus 1.16. I'm going to read you Five verses all out of Titus. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable, disobedient, worthless, worthless for any good deed. Notice that phrase, good deed. That's going to be the theme tonight. Titus 2.7, And all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Titus 2.14, Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for, for good deeds. Titus 3.8, this is a trustworthy statement. Concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to, to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Titus 3.14, our people, speaking of the church at, uh, uh, that Titus was pastoring, our people must learn to engage in good deeds, must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. So in your notes, we are saved from our sins and adopted into the family of God by faith, faith in the gospel through grace, 
not good works, uh, no good works are required, no good deeds are, are required. It's faith, faith alone plus nothing. So that's important and you know that. You've heard that over and over and over again. We're saved by faith, faith alone, not by works of righteousness which we've done. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift, a gift, a present, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Number two, but when we are genuinely saved, we will be changed and good works will follow. Good works will follow. So it's a simple use of a couple of words. We are saved by faith, not by works, but we are saved by faith for good works. And uh, when you read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says we're saved by faith, not as a result of works. Uh, when you read, uh, you go on to the end, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then moving on to verse 9 and 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And so he saved us uh, by faith, not by works, but we are saved for good works, good deeds. Titus 2, 11 through 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So we're saved by grace, but... Uh, a righteous life is expected. Number three, when we are born again, our heart changes. We have the desire to do good. God gives us the power to do good. God gives us the desire. It is God who is both the will and to work. Will and to work. That is, he puts the will in us, the desire in us, and he puts the power in us to do good deeds. So, I'll say it again. It's simple. We're saved by faith, not by works. We're saved by faith for good works, not through. We're not saved through works, we're saved for works. Titus 3, 5 and 8, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. Concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. So that those who have believed God, those who have trusted Christ, those who are born again will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Number four, God has made rules of life. And when we follow them, life works. Now, over the last 44 years of preaching, writing out my sermons on yellow legal pads, you know, I did that on the very first sermon I ever wrote on a yellow legal pad with red ink. And I have been doing it for 44 years ever since. I buy yellow legal pads and packs. I buy red ink pens and boxes. And uh, 
I don't know what it is about that. There's just something magical about yellow legal pad and red pens. Makes my brain function and work. Sometimes I don't have a clue. And just I just start writing any old thing. Today is Sunday. And pretty soon it's just like I can't write fast enough. Because it's just my brain just opens up and all that stuff starts coming out. And But if we were to say, what one thing have you preached more than anything else in four 44 years, it would be this line right here. God has made rules of life. And when we follow them, when we know them, life works well. It's like gravity. God created gravity. I was reading the other day, I think I already told this story to you, about a guy that jumped out of an airplane way up in the air like 20,000 feet and he jumped 6,000 different times. But for some reason, he didn't pack his chute right and it didn't open the second, first and the second one done and he... Poom, poom, I think I read that there wasn't a single bone in his body that wasn't broken. So he violated a rule, not on purpose, obviously, but the rule, we have guardrails and protections because we know that gravity, when you fall very far, will be consequential to your physical body. And so that's the basic law of life that we discovered in early age. Patty, when our kids were little, would, would fuss. Don't go, don't, don't, don't get too close to the stove, I'd say, ha, they'll only touch it once. There's just something about kids, they learn quick. Uh, you know, you violate a rule, consequence, you add that to your collection of rules that you understand that stoves are hot, don't touch stoves, and on the list goes as they experience life. Some people just seem like they never learn the rules of life, and they have consequences for breaking them, but there's always somebody else to blame for that. And so, 2 Timothy 2.5 says, If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. doesn't win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Life is full of rules, and the Bible has them recorded for us. James 1.25, One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, abides by it, abides by it, not, becoming, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does follows the rules that God has created that he's written in the word of God for us to discover. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows. This he will also reap. Number five, God's rules are often opposite of the world's. And so the world has a, a wisdom that's not God's. They follow certain rules that don't work. And it's becoming increasingly more that way in the fulfillment of Isaiah where he says that it'll get to the point where they'll call dark light and light dark and what's wrong right and what's right wrong. And we read that in the news and see it in the news all the time now. And the world tends to think that if they can yell it loud enough that that somehow makes it true. They can make enough of a fuss that somehow makes it true. But God's truth is God's truth that never changes, it never will. And when we discover what that truth is and live by it, then our life is blessed. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way which seems right to a man. Its end is the way of death. Its end is the way of death or failure. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. So I'm going to give you some rules. We'll call them principles. That sounds a little bit more 
palatable than rules. Sometimes we don't like the word rules. It's a little rebellious, but principles, just like uh, how to grow a tomato and how to grow tomatoes so you get lots of big fat tomatoes. That is principles, and it doesn't sound like something that you're being forced to do. You want tomatoes, so you follow those agricultural laws on how to grow tomatoes. So here's a good one. Number six, the more good deeds we do for others, the more God will do for us. So that's a, that's a rule of life that God has created. And the fact is, is that uh, His Word says that we don't even give a glass of water to a little child that it doesn't get noted by God. He's not so busy. There's not so many people. There's not so much going on that what we do as we go through life ever gets lost on God. And he's, Jesus made the statement that you don't give a glass of water to a little child that you don't receive your reward from it. The smallest thing done for another individual has consequential uh, reward from God always. And it's consistent. That's the way God's rules are. They're always consistent. I've told this before but I like this story and I tell it every chance I get when our kids were little we'd plant the garden this time of year I would do the same lesson I think until they went off to high uh, college they probably got tired of this lesson but it was such a I, I wanted them to get it I would open the radishes up and pour them in my hand and say you see these seeds we're gonna plant it and we're gonna get a corn plant and they on cue would say no that's a radish seed you don't get corn from radish seeds Never? No, never. Okay. And then I would open the corn seeds and I would plant, pull one out and I'd say, ah, look at this, we're going to plant this seed and we're going to get a bean plant. And they would say on cue, no, Dad, that's a bean seed or a corn seed or whatever it was. And so every spring I went through my little routine, corn seeds, bean seeds, radish seeds, whatever you plant, that's what you get. You always get radishes for radish seeds, corn for corn seeds, bean for bean seeds. And then I would say, look at this plant, these seeds here. These are special seeds. You plant one seed and you get two plants. No, Dad, you only get one plant with one seed. Really? Always? Always. That's just the way it is. One corn seed, one corn plant. Always. That's the rules. That's the way it works. Uh, it's as simple as that. What you sow is what you reap. How much you sow is how much you reap. That principle is in the Bible over and over and over again. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect doing good and sharing with, with, with such sacrifice as God is pleased. Psalms 34, 14, depart from evil, do good deeds, seek peace, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. Galatians 6, 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap. We will reap if we don't grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and is still ministering to the saints. Psalms 125, verse 4, do good, O Lord, to those who do good. Basic rule of life. You do a good deed to another person, God rewards you, does a good deed for you. Number seven, very similar. The more good deeds we do for others, the more good deeds others will do for us. <clears throat> Genesis 
chatting with somebody in our church a couple of years ago, and they said, you know, I've been coming to JBC for like almost a year, and I don't have any friends. I said, I'll be your friend. You can call me your friend. I'll even take you fishing. And they sounded quite appreciative, and I said, but just wanted to graciously share this principle with you. If you don't choose to be a friend to someone else, then you're probably not going to have anybody choose to be a friend with you. What we do for others is what others do for us. What we sow is what we reap. And so whenever something isn't kind of the way we'd like it to be, we need to think about ourselves, what we do, what we don't do, what we've chosen to do, what we've chosen not to do. Matthew 7, 12, Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. This is the law and the prophets. Law and the prophets, I mean, this is set in concrete. This is the way it works. This is life. Luke 6, 31, Just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. Galatians 5, 14, The whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Number eight, We can't help everybody, but God brings opportunities into our life to help some. Realistically speaking, 24 hours in a day, 8 hours a day gone sleeping, uh, 2 hours a day gone eating, a couple of hours a week gone brushing your teeth, you take away all the things that you do that are essential. How much time do you have left? How many people can you actually help? Well, you can't help everybody. You can't even help most, but you can help some. And God will, as God, will provide you divine appointments divine appointments. He'll sovereignly have someone cross your path that has a need that you can meet. They'll have a need that you can meet. But we choose not to meet it either because we don't see it or because we're not looking for it or because we simply don't want to. Galatians 6.10, So then while we have opportunity opportunity that's a divine appointment let us do good to all men colossians 4 5 conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity the divine appointment that god supplies so there is a problem number nine the biggest barrier that we have in our pursuit of being a good lover of others that is a need meter is the inconvenience factor the inconvenience factor. So that simply means is that I'm too busy. I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got this and I've got that and my time is pretty much used up on me. Therefore, I don't have time for you. And God supplies divine appointments after divine appointment and we choose not to take advantage of them because of the inconvenience of doing so. Now, there's a major story that everybody knows. Even people that don't read the Bible know the story. Organizations are named after the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. They stripped him, beat him, went off leaving him half dead. <laughs> half dead. Uh, I wonder, what does that mean, half dead? Half alive? Half dead? Anyway, he's not in good shape. And by chance, by chance, we know there is no such thing. It's always divine appointment. 
A certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he went on the other side of the road. What that means is he pretended like he didn't see him. Why? He was in a hurry. Inconvenience factor. He passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levite. He came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't like each other. And so Jesus makes a point of saying, this is the one that would be least apt to notice the problem. The Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, saw him, and he felt compassion. He felt compassion and came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on, put him on his own beast, brought him to an end, and took care of him. And he goes on and says, which of the three loved his neighbor? And the answer is obvious. So, I wonder how many times I do that, just from time I get out to bed to the time I get in the morning, I have a route, I have a plan, I have a strategy, I have goals, I have a to-do list, and things happen that is God's divine appointments intersected in my life that weren't on my to-do list. I didn't plan for them, I didn't expect them, but they happened, and then I have the choice to help or not to, to meet a need, to do good or not to. And most choose not to because of the inconvenience that doing so would, uh, would create in their life. Number 10, when we are faithful to the opportunities that God brings into our life, He will give us His strength. Obedience comes before power. Now that's a rule, a law of God. His strength is available to me, to you. We can do all things through him who strengthens me, but that verse really doesn't apply to most believers because that's not just a general concept for uh, fishing and, and uh, washing your car and, and, and planting your beans. That's a principle of, of power that applies to doing the will of God when we choose to do so. So the principle is obedience comes before power. God gives his strength to those who see the divine appointment that he has provided and do something and meet a need, even though it's not convenient. And as long as you follow your agenda, your plans, your goals, it's probably likely that you experience very little of God's power in your life. Colossians 1.29, For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Most Christians can't quote that verse because they aren't doing what he has given them an opportunity to do. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power, the power that works within us. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because, because, there's always a because, because he considered me faithful. Number 11, many Christians mistakenly claim promises in the Bible that aren't theirs to claim. And that's because most of the promises have a condition attached. If you don't meet the condition, the promise is not yours. There's always a because or an if. And as long as the if, the because is met, the condition is met, then the promise is ours. Philippians 4, 13, I quoted earlier, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Maybe. Maybe you can't. 
But if you're just doing your thing and you're avoiding the things that God has sovereignly brought into your life, then probably be well to take a razor blade and take that little verse and just cut it right out of your Bible because it's not yours. Number 12, when we faithfully when we are faithful to the opportunities that God brings into our life to do good deeds for others, He will give us His joy. He will give us His joy. <clears throat> it's fun sometimes just to Google things, see what pops up. Google joy. Just type in joy in your search line there and on, on Google search and see what comes up. One of the things that came up when I did it was some results of surveys that were taken uh, several years ago. One was in New York when a guy went down the street with a little clipboard and he stopped people and said, what would you like in life more than anything else? What's your number one desire in life? Ask several hundred people that. And by far the number one answer was, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And then he did it again asking the question, what would it take for you to be happy? What would it take for you to be happy? Number one thing on the list was relationship. Second thing on the list was money. Third thing on the list was good health. And the truth is that joy only comes from God. He is the one who gives it. He's the one who takes it away. It's a reward, a blessing from Him. In fact, that's what the word blessed literally means. In the Bible, when it says God bless you, it means may the joy of God be in you. The Greek word for bless and the Greek word for joy are, ident are identical, the same one. God gives joy, God takes it away. Who does he give joy to? Those who please him with their behavior. Jesus was baptized and the Father spoke from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 25, 21, the parable of the talents. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. So, you get up in the morning and you go through the day taking your journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho and there's a poor wounded guy by the road. You have the option of stopping and helping or continuing on your journey because you've got a, an appointment. And uh, the inconvenience factor will move you down the road and ignore the person with the need. But if you do so, you'll miss out on the gift of God's joy that will fill us. When we do His will, when He provides a divine appointment to meet a need in a person's life, when we take the time to do it, we not only get His strength, but we also get His joy. Joy that money doesn't give, that nothing else in life would provide except doing His will and experiencing His pleasure in our life. Number 13. When we are faithful to the opportunities that God brings into our life to help others, we will have more time. So this is an interesting principle. 24 hours in a day. You can't create time. So how do you get more time? Answer is simple. How many things do you have happen in a day that take away time that you didn't plan on? like a flat tire or this or just simply a person that interrupts your schedule. All day long you have time wasters that invade your time, your life, your, and eat up time. You didn't plan on it, but that they come. And what will happen is if God provides a divine appointment for you to meet a need in a person's life and you pass by on the other side of the road because of the inconvenience factor, that time will get eaten up 
by an emergency that you didn't plan, uh, God will make it happen. God will make it happen. So the choice, spend your time doing God's will, spend your time on emergencies and crisis things that eat up the time in your life. The nation of Israel went back to the promised land after 70 years of captivity, and they did two things. They rebuilt the wall and they rebuilt the temple. Well, when they got over there, they got their own houses to build and their own crops to plant and their own life to live, and so nobody showed up for the work days. And it went years without the temple being built, and so Haggai, a prophet, went and started preaching to the people about the importance of rebuilding the temple, and it's an interesting book to read. Verse 6 of chapter 1, You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough, and he who earns wages earns it to put it into a purse with holes. Haggai verse, chapter 1, verse 9, You look for much, behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. I blow it away. Why? Haggai said, because my house lies desolate and your house is all painted and pretty. Therefore, this is the consequence that comes into your life when you make your own agenda, your time, your needs, the priority, and ignore the things that God sovereignly brings into your life. Fourteen, when we're faithful to the opportunities that God brings into our life to help others, He will give us wisdom. That's a great blessing. God gives wisdom. Solomon said, uh, when asked by God, what do you want? He said, I'd take wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. He became the wisest man on the earth on the basis of God giving him wisdom. So if I get up in the morning and head for Jericho down the road and there's a person that's been beat up with robbers and I stop and I take the time to help to meet his his needs and to provide for him and take him to a motel and pay his bill and give him a good meal and bandage him up and take him to emergency uh, shot a bunch of time James 3:13. who among you is wise and understanding let him show demonstrate the fact that you have wisdom by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart do not be arrogant so lie against the truth that wisdom is not which comes down from above, that which comes from God, but it's earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy, selfish ambition exists, selfish ambition, there's disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above, that which God gives, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, good works, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Fifteen, when we're faithful to the opportunities, the divine appointments that God brings into our life to do good deeds for others, He will give us more. And you're thinking, oh, good grief, I didn't even want to do the first one. I don't want a second one. But He gives us the power to do it. He gives us the time to do it. He gives us the resources to do it. He fills us full of joy and full of wisdom. Who wouldn't want to take advantage of every opportunity that God brings into our life? God always rewards faithfulness with more opportunities to do good and to be blessed and rewarded by Him. Matthew 25, 21, His Master said, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Master. 16, doing good deeds for people around us and in our life often costs money. God will bless us with enough and often even more. 
So again, we're talking about principles, rules of life that God has created. So we don't take advantage of the divine appointment, the opportunity to do something for someone that will meet a need because we don't have enough time, but God would provide the time. Because we're busy, He would give us the power. It's going to cost something. He'll give us the money. He'll give us the wisdom. He'll give us the joy. You don't choose to do God's will. You don't stop and do what He provides you an opportunity to do without the results being incredibly bigger than the cost. That's the way God is. Luke 6, 38, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's kind of a fun statement, isn't it? Pressed down, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. 17, those who go out of their way to help others and do good deeds for them will be protected by God. Protected by God. So, if you have your Bible uh, app on your iPad, on your computer, they make some great apps now uh, that you can get Bible programs. And you want to do a little word study, type in the word protect, protected, put protect with a little star behind it, and it'll give you all forms of the word protect. And or put in there in parentheses protect or protected with God in there and see all the reference to where God protects, God guards, God keeps us safe. Did you know that God's protection is conditional upon behavior. God doesn't protect everybody. He doesn't even protect every Christian. There's certain Christians that he just says, huh, go take care of yourself. How'd you like to be in that group? I kind of like to be in the group that God says, I will protect you. Psalms 41, here's one of the conditions. How blessed is he who considers the helpless? The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive, and he shall be called blessed upon the earth. Do not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to health. Whoa, here's a corollary. Those who are good Samaritans won't get COVID. Don't quote me on that one, okay? <laughs> That's just maybe, you know. Who knows? Sounds like it. It says, though. How blessed is he who considers the helpless, the one who meets the needs of people that have needs, the one who responds to the divine appointments that God provides them in their life. 18, most Christians miss the opportunities that God supplies because they're not looking for them. They simply don't even think about the fact that today... I'm going to be going on my journey from Jerusalem to Jericho and most probably there'll be someone that I can do a good deed for. God will provide that opportunity and I will pay attention to where that will be. Maybe in the grocery store, maybe on the road, maybe my neighbor, but I'm going to look and see because I'm pretty sure that God will grant me an opportunity to meet a need to do a good deed for a person in my life today. The average person never anticipates that's going to happen. And because they don't anticipate it, don't look for it, uh, they walk right on by, don't even see it. 19, we choose to do good deeds for others because we're supposed to. It's the right thing to do. We don't usually feel like it. So, 
motivation. There's certain things that motivate. My kids were motivated by money. They did something good for their sister, I paid them a quarter. Just to reward them for good behavior. Sometimes you're motivated by fear. You don't want the consequence. Often I'm motivated simply because I love someone. My wife, I'm motivated to do good deeds for her. She says, hey, Dee, would you go get some wood for the stove? Sure, I'll get some wood for the stove. Don't expect any reward or anything. She's just my wife. I like to do good deeds for her. But did you know that one of the most powerful motivations in life when you're growing and your character is healthy is the motivation of duty? You do what's right because it is right. My dad used to say that all the time. He said, you do the right thing because it's the right thing. And for any man, that ought to be motivation enough. I used to hear that all the time. You do the right thing because it's the right thing. And that is a strong motivation when you have a healthy soul. You do right because it is right. Uh, it's your duty. It's God's command. It's what he calls us to do. We don't feel like it. And then 20, when we choose to do good, we will become good. That is our character. You become what you do. You become how you act. But because often we're controlled by feelings and emotions, I don't feel like it. We don't grow. But when we do the right thing because it is the right thing, we do the right thing because it's God's will for our life, what happens is we change. We do good to others and we become good on the inside. We become a good person and our motivation to then do good increases dramatically. We start with duty and we end the journey with that's who we are. That's what we do. That's how we act. That's what we look for. Uh, but it's important to understand that God has called us, appointed us, assigned us to do good deeds for people, and He will provide the opportunity. And when we take the time and overlook the inconvenience factor, He will reward us with strength and with joy and provision and with wisdom and more opportunities. And then at the end of the journey, we find ourselves to be a person with the character of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. I do pray that you will stir us, motivate us, and that we live in a world that really doesn't care about doing good deeds for others a whole lot. And we kind of get caught up in that hectic, busy uh, lifestyle. I pray that each one of us would anticipate you providing these divine appointments, would look for them, and would choose to do good deeds for others around us. And as a result, you will reward and us powerfully and uh, you'll use us for your glory and someday we'll stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ and hear you say well done good and faithful servant we love you in Jesus name we pray amen